Luke 17:11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, it's Thanksgiving week, and we chose uh, the passage where Luke shares the story of the leper who returned to Jesus and gave thanks. Um, I hope that even if you didn't get to be with your families in the usual way this Thanksgiving, you were able to cultivate a little bit of gratitude. Um, One of the things that Scott and I um, notice uh, is that in our culture, especially around Thanksgiving, Uh, There's a lot of articles and a lot of advice given about the enormous um, mental and emotional and even physical benefits of gratitude. There's a lot of wellness benefits. I know a lot of you in both churches are uh, runners, um, endurance athletes. Uh, I, I do triathlons every once in a while. One of the things my coaches have taught me is that when I'm in the middle of a race and I don't think I can go anymore, And my body's sending all kinds of signals to my brain to quit because what you're doing is stupid and it hurts. One of the mental tricks that you can use is to start to be thankful. Thankful that you have legs that can run. Thankful for the sky. Thankful for your opportunity to race. Anything that your mind can actually be thankful for and believe. And what happens is something in the mind clicks. It blocks some of those uh, negative thoughts and it actually enables you to go on further than your mind previously thought it could. And so I don't know about you, if any of you are still trying to endure 2020 right about now, eight months into a pandemic, it's probably worth exploring the power of gratitude. And looked at TED Talks and articles, it's actually studied and scientifically proven that grateful people are able to celebrate the present more than others instead of just constantly dreading the future gratitude actually physiologically and psychologically can block negative emotions and reduces depression grateful people are um, more stress resistant Uh, and in general grateful people have a higher sense of self-worth so being thankful is a powerful tool for wellness and happy well-being and there's a number of ted talks that you can go online and hear about that. But this isn't a TED Talk. This is a sermon. And I think what Scott and I want to show you today is that when the Bible talks about Thanksgiving, it's not just the power to be a little bit more well, have a little less stress. It's like the power of a nuclear bomb going off in your soul in a good way. I mean, the power between biblical Thanksgiving and what they're talking about in the culture, there's no comparison. What is the thankfulness that this leper has. It's that industrial grade thankfulness that the Bible talks about. It's not even close. What is this story? What does it teach us? Are you like the leper? (laughs) 
Are you, are you that one leper or are you like the nine? That's the big question. What is this thankfulness? Now, Scott and I have made a number of observations. Um, Scott's going to start with his on the story. Yeah, we're, we're looking at a story where the example given to us of gratitude um, really helps us. The previous story, which we didn't read, and I'm not going to say much about, but you could read it later, is where, where Jesus gives us one perspective about gratitude that we have, and he's speaking to servants, saying when a servant does his or her job at the end, do they do so expecting to be thanked or just having met their expectations? Now, if Jesus came as sort of a rich, extravagant person and hung out with other rich, extravagant people, uh, that teaching to servants would be maybe perhaps offensive and off-putting. But he's not. Uh, he comes down as somebody who takes the form of a servant. And he talks about the attitude of a servant, which means he's not trying to make people docile. He's trying to work against what prohibits our joy and that sense of entitlement that we have. So on the one hand, in the previous story, he's saying, don't be one of these people walking around expecting everyone to thank you, because if, you're, if your desire is to be thanked, you'll be disappointed with people. But just do what's faithful. But then that leads into this story where he talks about or, or he shows us through uh, how this unfolds, the, the deeper transformation. And it comes through uh, a, a particular person. And, and as Ren and I talked, we, we realized that, that that's not insignificant. It comes through a Samaritan who's a leper. Um, as the story is told, if you, if you, if you look at Luke, uh, the, the writer of the gospel, some of his narrative cues on, on how he chooses to tell the story, right at the beginning, there, there's a, 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 a word he uses that sets what's going on that, that helps us. And as Ren and I talked about it, it clearly strikes us as being fundamental. Very well, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Uh, that word dis distance is just, it's just a description of what's happening. Uh, but it's not just the distance that's there uh, between them, but it's, it's a distance that we find is fundamental to the story. Now, why are they standing at a distance? Well, they have a disease, they have leprosy. In the first century, they didn't have the kind of knowledge we have scientifically about germs and bacteria and vaccines and all of the kinds of things that are part of uh, 2020's experience of social distancing that we're all experiencing, but, but they knew about contagiousness. So whatever they thought about leprosy and where it came from and how you deal with it, one thing they knew is you don't go near people who have it. And so here you have this group of 10 who uh, they have their own sort of community uh, because they already are infected. But what, what we find out as the story unfolds is one of them is a Samaritan and that highlights another form of social distance that makes it unusual. You know, we, there's a couple of points in the New Testament, not a couple, there's, you know, maybe a handful where we hear about Samaritans, but there's not a whole lot about them because they were another people. They were elsewhere. But every now and then they break in, uh, particularly important in Luke's gospel as he writes the book of Acts, saying how the gospel goes from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and then the ends of the earth. So this is actually quite important. Uh, but, but perhaps some of you are familiar with just the, the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews of the first century, but there's a history behind it. 
Solomon, the great wise king, after he dies, his son is quite unwise and takes over. Uh, and there's a bit of a division that, that another ruler raises up and takes the, the whole northern part of the kingdom over. And they, they separate. And, and yet uh, the northern kingdom separated politically should still be going to Jerusalem because they should worship the same God. Uh, but he sets up a place in Samaria where they'll have their own worship site. Now, that's a little bit of a hint of how there's going to be a problematic unfolding historically in northern Israel. But you could read the prophet Amos, or you could read about Elijah and Elisha, the prophets that go to the north and warn them, you're, you're wandering from God, you're increasing your distance between yourselves and God, until the Assyrians come in and destroy them and take them away. The Syrians try to take the southern kingdom, but they can't. But so the northern kingdom is destroyed, taken away, and then at some point, they're allowed to return, but they return having intermarried, or, or some Jews return, but, but others return, and not only are they intermarrying, but they're worshiping uh, the gods of the other nations. Eventually, the southern kingdom is taken over by the Babylonians, but when they return to the land, they've sort of learned their lesson. They realized what unfaithfulness was like, and, and their thing is, we better get it perfect. <laughs> So you have this legacy in the South that was continued by the Pharisees to say, we better get this exactly right. And then you have the Samaritans, the compromised, the unfaithful, the, the mixed. And so uh, as we come to this passage, we find that Jesus, another geographical description here in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And so the NIV says on the border, <laughs> But, but there's a sense in which he's going through because on the one hand, uh, a Jew going through Samaria might be dangerous. It might ruin his credibility. And so there he is between, and there's this marginalized group. And what often happens with marginalized communities, you know, the lepers are pushed out of the mainstream where they find each other. So in this place in between, you have this mix of Jews and at least one Samaritan. We don't know exactly what the makeup is, but there's at least one. And it creates this sense in which uh, there's this odd alienated community, but his being a Samaritan is key in that. And so the modern reader reads this and wonders, uh, how is it that Jesus has the power to heal? But for the Samaritan in the story, if you enter into the story's narrative, uh, maybe he would have wondered that, but he was desperate. So he asked for healing. He was actually his question, how did Jesus have the power to heal? His question might have been, why did this Jewish figure heal me? Because that would have been part of his experience as somebody who was alienated, marginalized, somebody who felt the distance socially. So that plays out in a religious way, but I'm just highlighting the, the, the social dimension. Ren will talk a little bit more about the religious distancing. Yeah, distance uh, struck me as well in the passage. Um, and, and all of that social distance, uh, the cultural distance, the uh, physical distance uh, of the health um, but what I noticed was that underneath all of that, there was, an, there was a greater sort of distance that was spoken about, and that's the spiritual distance. That, that this guy would not have just been felt marginalized by everybody else in the society, but he would have felt marginalized from the love of God. That leprosy, you know, in, in the Old Testament was not only a metaphor for sin, as we learned in Sunday school, that it makes you unclean and so you're distanced from God, but it if you had leprosy, it actually kept you out of God's house. It actually kept you from the people of God and therefore from God. And God himself 
said this in Leviticus 17. This is what they're all following, right? Leviticus chapter 17. This is what the law of God says with respect to people with skin diseases. And this is the connection between pandemic 2020 New York City, right? Here's what the law of God said. Number one, you couldn't comb your hair. In other words, if you had a lesion on your head, you couldn't do a comb over and hide it, right? That's testing. That's a version of testing for a virus. And then um, you had to walk around and cry out, unclean, unclean. In other words, you had to warn people to stay away from you. You actually had to screen that out. Law of God says that. That's contact tracing. That's making sure people... And then Leviticus 17 says this. You had to cover the lower part of your face. You had to wear a mask. You could, so there's mask, and you can't come into the presence of Jews because the most righteous Jew become defiled immediately. You had to live outside the camp of the people of God, and therefore you could not give sacrifices. You had no reassurance that your fellowship with God was there. And so social and physical distance told them that they were spiritually distanced from God. And the only way that they could come in back to the camp, according to Numbers 5, is not that if they went to the priests, but if the priests had to go out to them and defile themselves, become unclean to inspect them for, the, for their healing. But even if they were healed, they couldn't come back into fellowship in the temple with the people of God. They had to sacrifice a bird. One bird had to die to, to signify the death for sin. And then one bird had to be let go to signify that they were brought back to life. But all of these rules and structures were telling these 10 lepers that they were as far from God as they could possibly be. That would have been their experience week after week, year after year. And if you feel like you're far from God, that takes the oxygen out of your lungs. They had no friends besides the other uncool lepers. They have no way of holding a job. They have no hope of getting better. They can't even go to the temple and ask God to heal them. They're like some of us who can't go to church, stuck at home, faces covered, really lonely, and spiritually dry on the inside. And their best chance of healing is to shout from a distance to this controversial rabbi, hey, please help us. (laughs) They are desperate, all 10. I mean, there are other clues that this commentators say that they would pray to God if they could, right? That they lifted up their voices, have mercy on us. Those are prayer languages. Instead of screaming unclean, unclean, they are actually offering prayer language, but not to God. They're doing it to this hopefully helpful rabbi who's walking by. They need help. And so distance is an understatement. And some of us here today need God, or at least need to identify with these lepers, because there is a gap between you and God that you feel. And you're not sure whether or not it's going to be closed. It doesn't have to be the whole you. It could be one area of your life or some sub-area of your life where you feel far from God, and you don't know whether or not it's going to be closed because of whatever you're experiencing. I, I want to hug my parents, don't you? I wish I could hug my parents, but I can't. I haven't seen them for like two years and I want to go to California, but I can't because I'm putting them at risk and I'm weakened because of that. I feel like there's a lack on my inside or maybe you feel weak and there's a lack and a gap because of your sin, returning to vices that you thought you conquered because the stress of pandemic is too much. 
or because of life circumstances. Suffering makes you feel the distance, lack of wellness, discrimination that you experience makes you wonder whether or not God is close. The anger that you have all the time, low-grade anger, medium-grade anger, but it's all the time. We're unclean. I mean, what's your leprosy? (laughs) We don't need just a little boost of mental energy. We need a whole makeover that closes the gap. But deep down, we know that even if we were able to close the gap and get near to God, we would still have to cover our faces lest the clean become unclean. But God is the one we need, we know we need, and we're at a distance calling out to him. And so the spiritual distance is underneath all of the other alienation and marginalization that we see in the life of a leper Samaritan. And so we can't overstate the distance of a leper Samaritan from God. I feel that. I mean, I don't know if you do too, Scott. Yeah, totally. We're talking about Thanksgiving because when you're feeling thankful, you, there's something that's right. Uh, but, but, but this group that we're looking at doesn't feel right. And, and how many of us, even if we have a theology that says, look at God's goodness, look at all that he's given us. We have these moments where honestly, we're not feeling thankful. We're, we're feeling a void in our lives where we're feeling a distance. And, and their, their cry for mercy, um, it both shows that they're not feeling thankful. They're, they're feeling needy. But it's actually a step uh, towards, it, it, it's a desperate plea. But is that not one of the most fundamental prayers of Christians, that, that we want to be overflowing with thanks and praise, but, but at times that we're not, that's what we do. <laughs> Instead of accepting the distance and shrinking away, we ask for mercy because we don't want to accept distance. We don't want to increase the distance, but we want to close the gap. So the distance is indeed a, a, a terrible problem for us. How do you get from there to really, really thankful? (laughs) Fall on your face thankful. Praise loudly thankful like the leper. Well, this wonderful exchange, exchange, we see that Jesus does close the gap. He he had a little bit of faith and he he shouts out, Jesus sends them to the priest and heals them. And then the guy gives thanks. And that's the Thanksgiving lesson. We ought to be the ones who return. To Jesus, But the big question pastorally in this passage is, which one are you? Are you one of the nine? Or are you one of the one? And what's the difference between the two? What's going to turn you into the leper who comes back? Or are you just one of these nine who doesn't come back? Clearly, this guy leveled up in the way that others didn't. And so, you know, in my mind, at least, I went through a process of elimination as I looked at this passage. I, I, I thought, okay, so... Is he thankful just because he's healed? Is that what makes him the one who goes back? Well, you look at that, you look at the story and you say, have to say no, because they were all healed. It wasn't the fact that he was healed that made him thankful. And actually, uh, Scott, I remember you making the observation that presumably all the others are thankful too, because they don't have leprosy anymore. They made it through the ICU, but they they don't get loud and fall on their knees. So it's not just that you ask God for something, a healing, and he answers your prayers. That's not what's going to in itself prompt the thankfulness. So we say, okay, is it because he has faith and the others don't? And as I look at the passage, actually, they all kind of have a kind of faith. I mean, what's interesting to me is that 
Jesus does heal them, but before he does, he says, go, go to the priest. That's, and sh- that's all he says. In other healings, he actually tells the lepers what he's going to do. I'm going to heal you, or I heal you, or at least I spit in the mud and I put something on your eye. I do something to let you know that I'm going to heal you. But he doesn't do that. He just gives them the command. Go. No explanation, no theology, no nothing. And all 10 of them go. And I said, well, you know, that's interesting, because what would the assumption of those 10 lepers be would it be that when he, they got to the priests that the priests would heal them that can't exactly be it because if they're going to be restored the priests actually have to come out of the temple remember numbers five to verify and let them back in or another assumption might be that they would be healed on the way to the priests but jesus doesn't say anything about that like he did in other healings so they might have expected that the priests were going to give them money or something like that in other words When Jesus says go with no explanation, no prediction, no analysis, no teaching, just a command, on what basis do you get up and go? Well, it's faith. Is you believe him. You believe something's going to happen. He's trustworthy. And all 10 go. In fact, actually, I think that go language is reminiscent of Abraham in Genesis where God calls Abraham out of the wilderness and says, go into the land where I will show you. What kind of land? Well, it's flowing with milk and honey. Well, tell me more. I'm not going to tell you more. Just go. And he did. And the Bible explains what Abraham did as faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So that go language is faith language. So all 10 had it. So as they go, They are healed, but only one turns back. So what's the difference? Please tell me what the difference is. And this is what I think it is, is that this guy who's a leper has more nothing than the rest of them. He he expected to get the most nothing, more than any of the others. He knew more rejection. He knew more denial. He knew more dismissal. He knew more abandonment. He was the farthest away from God. Why? Well, the passage makes a big deal of it. So did Scott. In verse 16, he was a Samaritan. And they don't let Samaritans into the presence of God. Those unclean muggles from dirty poop hole country, they don't let them in. They call them dogs. They're worse than Gentiles. So even if he's healed from leprosy, they still won't let him into the temple. And so he gets healed, and he's running with these presumably other Jews, and he realizes that all the others are going to get in, but they're not going to let him in. But he's healed, and so he looks around, and he thinks, I have no more leprosy. I have to give thanks and praise to God. Who can I do this with? And he thinks back to this Jesus guy who's the one person in the world who would bring him near. He should not have been healed because he wasn't a Jew. But of course, this Jesus will accept him because he healed this Samaritan along with all the other Jews. Let me go and fellowship with the one person in the world who I know will accept me and love me because he's already loved me. And so he goes back to Jesus and he may have gone back to Jesus just for someone to thank, for someone uh, to praise God with, But when he comes back to Jesus, you need to see that he gets everything back. He does get, he comes close to Jesus. The gap has been closed. 
He's accepted. He gets, he gets relationship. He gets some teaching at the end. He gets an assignment. Go, rise and go your way. He, he gets theology. Your faith has made you well. He gets a relationship. And I think because he was the farthest, he was the most thankful. This should be hope for all of us who feel like we're so far out that God can't reach us. That we're more, more broken than our other friends. Because this, in the end, is what conversion looks like. The ones who need the most and are given the greatest grace are the ones who return with the greatest thanks. And in return, they get the relationship with God from farthest to closest. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not that you, you get healed and your prayers are answered. Not that you have faith enough to be religious and go to church, but to fall at the feet of Jesus. Because you realize he bridged a gap that no one else would or could have to get to you. I think it's because you know, the, the leper was one out of ten because he never thought he would have been one of the ten. He never thought he would make it in, but he did. And Jesus brought him in, so he goes back and he falls at Jesus' feet. And that, that's not a TED Talk. That's so much more. Right, Scott? Yeah, you know, this idea of distance, um, I think many of us are left thinking the best we have is to sort of wherever we are is to, to just be thankful. But this story is different because Jesus doesn't just instruct him how to have a better life at his distance, but he gives him something. And that giving creates a bond. And gratitude, thankfulness is not meant to be this isolated emotional thing that we do, but it's, it's something that's part of a connection. And that's why this distance that Jesus uniquely overcomes is, is important. And, and that's where, you know, where do we see gratitude? Well, one of the, one of the human interactions is through gift giving, where somebody gives something. And, and sometimes it, it could be a little bit strange if you have a friend that has a lot of money and you don't have much and they give you a gift and you feel like there's nothing I could give them in return. Um, rather than the gift being something that, that um, lifts you up, you could feel a little bit embarrassed. But, but the idea of thanks, you know, we call it giving thanks, is it's, it's, you're genuinely giving something in return. You're not repaying. But that constitutes a healthy relationship. And, and that's why these lepers and the Samaritan are a great example of people that there's nothing that they can do to create this healthy relationship. And yet we see Jesus give something to all of them but the one who really values and is surprised by how much he was given wants to give back. And, and so he comes and he gives thanks. And so uh, thanksgiving, giving thanks is something that's part of human relations. Uh, there's this, um, this moment that I love in the book, The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. You could see that I'm reading at least at a, at a level S uh, in terms of uh, the literature that I'm reading. So, so uh, it's this, these diaries of this elementary school kid named Greg and at Christmas, he has to write thank you notes for all the gifts he's gotten. And it's a little bit overwhelming. And so he has this genius idea on my computer. I'm going to come up with a template where I'm going to have some gaps and then I'm going to print it out and just fill in the blanks. So that way I don't have to do all the work of writing all these various thank you notes. And so uh, he writes, he writes a note to his aunt Lydia and he, I'll, I'll highlight where he fills in the blanks. Uh, Dear aunt Lydia, that's the first blank. Thank you so much for the awesome encyclopedia, you know, insert the name of the gift there. How did you know I wanted that for Christmas? I love the way the encyclopedia looks on my shelf, insert that blank. 
All my friends are so jealous that I have my very own encyclopedia. Thank you for making this the best Christmas ever. So he thinks he's really onto something, but then his Aunt Loretta gives him pants, something that he's not too thankful for. And so he writes, Dear Aunt Loretta, thank you so much for the awesome pants. How did you know that I wanted that for Christmas? I love the way the pants look on my legs. All my friends will be so jealous that I have my very own pants. Thank you for making this the best Christmas ever. You know, um, I'm sort of sympathetic to that, being overwhelmed by having to come up with something creative, especially when you're not grateful. But I'm wondering how many of our religious lives include prayers like that, that we learn the language to say, Lord, thank you for the church, for forgiveness. But, but, but our own experience of alienation creates a desperation that, that what we really think we need to fill the void is something out there that Christianity seems irrelevant to. Lord, if I could just become successful, if people would just admire me, if I could have money, then I would be whole. And so there's this message about forgiveness of sins. <laughs> Thank you for forgiving my sins, but here I am in my dissatisfaction that I know my sins are forgiven, but I'm still uh, middle management. And so Christianity seems irrelevant until we realize that, that the root of our alienation, the root of our distance is much deeper. And, and what we don't wanna do is to fall into being ungrateful people who have an external formula of thankfulness to God. Dear Lord, thank you for this, this, and the other things, but actually I'm just gonna hold back the fact that I'm dissatisfied because the things that are really important to me, I don't have. What we find here in this story is uh, the, the 10 think the most important thing is their leprosy because that's the source of their alienation. And so as Wren said, surely the other nine had to have been thankful. How could you not be thankful if you weren't healed of your leprosy? It's not that the leper, not, it's not that the Samaritan was the only one who was thankful, we imagine. But what distinguishes him is that he returns to give thanks. And that's where I think that language is important uh, verse 15, one of them, when he was, saw that he was healed, turned back. So, so this healing, as Ren alluded to, is much deeper than the skin. There's, there's something that, that Jesus has given that changes his soul. Verse 18, when no one, Jesus' question was, no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. <laughs> and isn't that the Samaritan story? They were sent off but they never really returned. They stayed there and, and they stayed there in this middle, not really close to God doing some religious something. But now Jesus crosses that divide. He walks between Galilee and Samaria and he brings them uh, towards Jerusalem. And he gives something that's not just the healing of the skin, but that the Samaritan realizes is deeper. There's, there's something about his action of returning that we're meant to see. And so uh, what happens here is not just that he, the Samaritan gives thanks, but there's a relationship established between the one who heard his plea for mercy and gave him grace, who showed him mercy, healed him from the outside, but healed him from the inside. So in verses 15 and 16, it says he's praising God with a loud voice and he fell at his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. And this, I think, 
is the fundamental distinction. What Ren used the language of conversion. They didn't just become people who were thankful. But the Samaritan became somebody who was thankful to God, somebody who returned in order to express thanks to Jesus. Now, that may sound like a subtle distinction, but it's quite important. Christianity is not that God who's out there will drop something into your life so that you can be thankful. It's that God continues to be generous so that you would return. And in your returning, there's nothing you can earn. There's nothing you can give back to God. But yet, God gives to you anyway. And so, what can we return? Well, we can give thanks when we realize that that's the nature of God's grace. Uh, so, the, 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 um, in the opening, Ren talked about, just as a psychological tip, the importance of being a thankful person. And that's good advice. Work on it. You'll find that naturally, you will find things to complain about but it may not be natural for you to find things to give thanks for. Simply pushing against your complaining and appreciating what you have will make your life better. But at the end of the day, if all you're doing is staying out there somewhere on your own, managing your own emotional life, you'll always struggle because life has good things to be thankful for, but life also has difficult things that you would rightly complaining about, complain about. The gospel offers something different. The gospel offers a relationship where, where the grace, the generosity of God is part of an invitation to return, where Jesus doesn't simply give you your felt need, but he gives you himself. He lays down his life. There's a radical generosity that we know the reason that they would have any hope of being cleansed is not because they've shown themselves to the priest, but because Jesus alone has the power to be cleansed. And the same is true for us whether we have literal leprosy or whether or not we have anything in our lives that we feel makes us unclean, unworthy, ashamed, alienated, and too far to be reached on the margins. What we're told is Jesus doesn't simply come to give us something. He comes to give us himself. And it's through his entering into the dirt, the uncleanness, the shedding of blood, that we are given a cleansing that then allows us to return to God. So we are not just a people that remain alienated in a state of thankfulness, but we're a people who are invited to return to be thankful to someone. And where that's really crucial is because you will have times in your life where things are hard, but you will see God's kindness and you will be thankful to God. But you will have times where you won't recognize anything good or you will see that it's there, but you won't feel it. And what do you have if you're just out there on your own needing to be thankful? You have another hoop, another thing to measure up, another thing to remind you that you're not living as good as the people who are happy and cheerful. What we have is a returning to Jesus that says you should be thankful. But if you're not, (laughs) Jesus is with you. And so you shouldn't be complaining all the time, but do you have a complaint today? Well, bring your complaint to Jesus because the one who gave himself for you will receive your complaint And in time, he will continue to be with you, and you will see his ongoing care and generosity. So you don't just have to be thankful. You should be thankful to God, who sent Jesus to give himself for you. That's the picture of conversion that the Samaritan gets, the one who realizes, I'm unworthy, I had nothing. And not only am I clean, but now I could come back. And he gives praise to God in a loud voice, and what a difference that makes. And so 
uh, as we as as the thing that I want to leave you at this point with the importance of giving thanks to God, uh, we'll try to apply a little bit now. So so Ren, what does that look like as we work this out in our lives? Not that we should be thankful, but but there's a new way of living. How do we how do we work this into our lives? Um, the things that I notice are all in the last part of the passage, and the trite way to do it in a sermon is to say that we should not be giving thanks only on Thanksgiving, but we should be doing it all year. <laughs> and that's actually, that's the trite way of saying it, but let me break it into three things that maybe to motivate you. Number one, number one, here's what's interesting is that the leper returns and only then does he get the lesson about what the relationship is. He does all this stuff. He suffers, he cries out for mercy, he goes, he gets healed, he turns around, he does all this stuff with no teaching about the gospel or about faith whatsoever. He's just kind of going, but then when he returns to give thanks, it was the occasion for Jesus then to teach him what it was all about. He gets a lesson because he came back and gave thanks. The other nine, they don't, they still don't know what's going on. Jesus asks a teaching question. Why is it nine that didn't come? And why did one come back this foreigner? Wink, wink. You know, it's one of these Eastern teacher things saying, go and think about that. And then directly to him, he says, your faith has made you well. That's true for all 10. But only he gets the teaching. And so if you want more understanding of your relationship with Jesus, if you want, to, you want him to build into you, you participate in the relationship with him by coming back to give thanks. Thanksgiving is actually an occasion for him to build more into you as you come to him with prayer. That's one thing. Thanksgiving led to teaching. But, but secondly, at the end, after he gets the, t- the teaching, he's told right away to go, go again. <laughs> he gets the teaching and then rise and go. Your faith has made you well. In other words, he's sent out again. So what that tells me is that Thanksgiving is now a rhythm. Perhaps he's going to go again live his life, get confused, be blessed by God, come back and give thanks, and then he's going to get more information, more building into him from God. And so there's a rhythm of thanks and going, even in this short little passage that is here. And then the the third thing is, I think Scott alluded to it, um, which is that when you give thanks, you need to make sure that you're you're not going to praise God with a loud voice, you're not going to fall on your face for any old thing, but to return to the way in which Jesus has healed, healed your uncleanness through his death on the cross to continually, at the extremity of the thanksgiving, begs the idea that he's thanking Jesus for the extremity of the gift. He didn't know the half of it because eventually he'd know that Jesus would die on the cross for him. Um, but The question is, are you returning to God in thanks? Are you listening for his teaching when you do? And are you giving your whole heart, soul, body, and mind in thanksgiving in light of the gift that Jesus has given you? That's the lifestyle of thanksgiving. Yeah, you know, one of the contrasts we have here of of the movement, just if you look at the narrative, it begins with, with the Samaritan and the other lepers far off, and they're crying out for mercy. So they raise their voices. Why do they raise their voices? Because of the distance. And you can imagine how exhausted they must be that 
crying out for mercy would, would take the little energy that, that they have because they are so desperate that they need to be given something. But then in verses 15 and 16, the Samaritan comes back and he's praising God with a loud voice. And he falls at his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Why the loud voice then? At this point, you're right in Jesus's presence. Now you can use your inside voice. He's right there. The loud voice is not needed. The loud voice is coming out because something has happened inside him. And what a difference between being distant and desperate. And every time you call out, it's exhausting you. And to have Jesus give you something that then has filled you so that what comes out of you has an energy that now you don't need to be loud and boisterous, but you sometimes can't help yourself. Now, that's not always the case. There should be times in the national life where we have they're overwhelming with gratitude, overwhelming, uh, overflowing with gratitude. Um, but look, we need to live the Christian life 365 days a week, year by year. And there's an ordinariness to it, and yet there should be a pattern of giving thanks. But it's that, that, that transfer, that perspective of saying, I was once outside, desperate and needy, and I had nothing to the new Christian identity that God has given Jesus Christ, which means we now have something. And the paradigm moves from saying, you know, well, well, what do I have to give God? That's Romans 11. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And we think in this deal, well, if only now, if I live a religious life, if I'm morally upright, if I do all of these things, then I will have God's favor. And we have to stop ourselves and say, no, everything I have is because God is radically generous. God has poured into my life. So I don't need to earn anything. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to repay. But does that mean that you have nothing to give? Well, no. That's why the language in this passage, verse 16, verse 18, they're giving thanks. Thanks is something you give. So God has given Jesus Christ. What can you give to him? Well, the whole of your life is now lived, not alienated and desperate, but drawn close and full of the spirit. And so one of the things you do is you give thanks to God, and, and it's an ordinary custom. So I'll share from my own experience that, that uh, you know, I sort of laugh at, at Greg in the diary of the wimpy kid with his form letter because I struggle to write thank you notes because I, I have that. How do you put into words? And, and there, I, I never do anything with a pen in life except sign a note. And there's something about a thank you card that needs to be handwritten. Um, and so I spend a lot of time typing. And so Occasionally, people give me gifts, and I think, I want to thank them, but it feels insufficient to send them a thank you email. That's not the custom. That seems so impersonal. And so the thank you email is not good enough, and so I don't send it because I'm waiting to send the good enough, the card that I'm going to handwrite, but I, don't, I can't even find a pen in my home. So the card never comes. I find myself amazed year after year, sometimes on my birthday or Christmas, there's some people in my life that give me gifts every year. And my gratitude is not simply that you gave me a gift, but you gave me a gift again, <laughs> because the last time you gave me a gift, I never sent you a thank you note. And the time before that, I never did. Um, in my heart, I actually experienced thanks, that when people are kind to me, that not only am I thankful that you gave me something, but you gave me something and I didn't sufficiently thank you. And I want to thank you. And I don't follow through and thank you. And yet you still give to me. It, it increases my gratitude. 
But it also makes me wonder at what point are people going to wisen up and just stop giving me things thinking that I'm not grateful. So one problem is the superficial thanks, the form letter, you know, dear, whatever, thank you for this. And our prayer life could become God. Thank you for this, that, and the other thing that you have this laundry list that you just know you're supposed to go through. The other danger though, is to want to be so authentic that you're waiting for the exact moment that you feel exactly the right amount of gratitude. And what we're told is, <laughs> have a generous spirit. God doesn't need your thanks. It's not that you owe it to him. Are you waiting till you're really spiritually sound so you can sit down and have a quiet time where you're giving him thanks in a non-formulaic way? Where I would encourage you today is to say, don't wait till you have it together. <laughs> don't wait till you give thanks exactly as God deserves it, but make this the pattern of life. We have a lot of unlearning to do because we could easily give God a grumbling and complaint. Lord, how dare you? Or maybe we're not that bold, but we say, Lord, oh boy, fix this thing. But it's this new perspective, this new attitude to say, you know what? If I'm going to come into the Lord's presence, I should be feeling it. But even if I'm not, by faith, I know it's true. So I'm going to begin with this habit of, of giving back to God. I can't give him anything that will earn anything. I can't, I can't make up for what he's done for me, but I can give something meaningful. God has given me his son and life in him and all good things. I could give him thanks. And that's part of a converted life, a spiritually renewed life that then pours itself out into our relationships, that, that no longer being needy and at a distance, we draw near to God, we go out, and we could bring the energy, the strength, the overflowing spirit of gratitude into our relationships, into our world. We could be changed people. And so I want to encourage you to be praying prayers of thanks, um, but to make that a new way of life as you're not just a person who is thankful, but you're a person who's thankful to God because God is with you because he sent Jesus Christ. And if you were always with God, you always have some occasion to see God's kindness and to be thankful for it. So make that a way of life. I'm going to start time where pray. Our Father, we do have so much to be thankful for. There are so many specific things that we take for granted. Lord, but there's one huge thing that we also take for granted. It's so strange that salvation comes at the cost of Jesus' own life, his suffering, his death, his humiliation and shame. And that becomes ordinary for us over time, or it becomes hard to understand for any of us who have not yet crossed the line into Christianity. Lord, it's really a spiritual work that you do, that you pour it grace upon grace into our lives that, that overcomes our neediness. And you show us mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy that you show us, for the ongoing patience, for the kindness and generosity that we never deserved and never earned. I pray for every person who has gathered with us today that we would experience this renewing of the spirit that we would see that we are not empty and that we are not apart and we are not too far from you, but you have come near so that we uh, could walk with you. And Lord, what do we have to give to you? Uh, maybe there's a few things in our lives, some time, some talent, some gifts, some abilities, some resources. Let us give with a generous spirit, but let's not think it's too small throughout every day to give thanks from a grateful heart. Lord, renew our hearts. Help us to overcome our bitterness our fear, our anxiety, our resentments. Help us to be overcome by your grace and generosity. Do that work in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, part of the process of doing that is to be um, a people who admit our need, and Peter Reed will lead us in a time of 
uh, drawing near to God through confession. 